So there we go, our, our first guest this afternoon. Uh, I thought some interesting comments there uh, about the, uh, the cause we actually talked about it earlier, James, about the supply chain and the oil uh, with Russia and all of that. We talked about that earlier, so it was interesting to get a different perspective and find out some of the things they're actually thinking about. Somebody who actually knows what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah, <laughs> not just us. And you've said it perfectly. Uh, we were we are on the outside looking in. Yes. You know, so we're only guessing at what what might be happening over there. So it's good to hear someone who's actually experiencing it and going through some of that right now. Alex, we've reached my favorite part of the conference, lunchtime. So just like in Louisville, we looked out at everyone eating. Uh, smells pretty good. Food looks very good. Everyone who's, if you've ever been to a conference, you know, sometimes conference foods be a little dicey. Uh, I got to say, food looks pretty good here. Very impressed. People seem happy. I don't see any angry, angry eaters. No food fights. <laughs> Not, yet. Not yet. No yeah. food fights yet. Unfortunately, we'll be missing it. So, but, but that's okay. I, I, you know, full disclosure, I share everything with you guys uh, over by the mystery truck. There's Ben Muffins. I grabbed two. I ate one. One's in my bag because... As a, as a BC guy, two is one and one is none. So I never know. Never know. Uh, but, you know, we were talking about Europe. So, Alex, you and I were actually in London yes. two weeks ago. You gave a keynote speech. Yeah, with Margaret Millet. In yeah. London, Mr. Fancy. Tell me about the, the speech. What was the, what was the topic that you two spoke about? We talked about raising the bar, uh, <clears throat> raising the bar for executives giving them a greater understanding of resilience. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the, the talk because uh, Margaret and I came at it from different direction. Margaret uh, being head of resilience at Uber Technologies uh, had a great insight from an executive viewpoint, some of the, the tools that they like to see and the tools that can be used and how to present that, uh, which was great insight for me because I learned from her talking about that and I came at it from the direction of looking within yourself too. We can have all the tools we want, but if we don't have the, des the desire uh, to use them or the, the you know, the, that uh, je ne sais quoi, uh, the, the, the thing inside of us that wants to learn, you know, and, and do better. If we don't have that, then the tools won't matter. So I came from that perspective that uh, executives, you know, they need to change their mindset. They need to change some of their thinking and look at things and um, you know, take a step back sometimes to let others step forward to, to create resilience. And uh, we talked that it's something that's over time. Uh, sometimes I think that gets forgotten about when you hear people talk, you know, oh, you can be resilient. And then you have consultants like us yeah, <laughs> who turn around, you know, <laughs> who will turn around and say uh, whatever we say, but sometimes we don't uh, stress the point that this is going to take time to do a change in processes and change in the way we develop our processes, a change in thinking, the way we respond to, to things and having open door policies and what that really means. And all of that comes into play and uh, so that was the direction I came in from, uh, came in from. and it, uh, from the feedback we got, it went over really well, um, got a lot of good feedback. I, there were a bunch of questions uh, for us, and uh, I did receive them from Sergio, the uh, coordinator 
And uh, I think Margaret and I are going to uh, record something and answer some of the questions if we didn't get a chance to. But it was a great experience. You were there. You had lots to do as well. I was I was there. Uh, sorry, somebody just dropped something right in front of me and it startled me. Uh, but I want to I want to go back to first something you said about management owning and management. You said management take responsibility for resilience. I think that's so important because I think a lot of our, our colleagues think that I'm the resilience manager or I'm the business continuity manager and I'm responsible for this. But the problem I see with that is you don't get that cultural adaptation. Yeah. Uh, I had a client once who was like, we want you to come do this project and we'll throw a ton of money at you because we want to create a culture of resilience. And I said, no, because I don't see how a consultant comes in and creates a culture of anything. For me, organizational cultures start and stop with management. Whatever's important to management is important to the organization. Uh, years ago, I worked at a company and my first Friday there, I was told Fridays are casual Fridays. You can wear jeans. Uh, and I wanted to see, you know, my first Friday, I didn't wear jeans. What does that mean? I saw the managing director walking around wearing jeans. So I wore jeans. And I think it's the same thing when we said we want to build a culture of resilience. So I'm going to create a document for that or the business continuity managers going to own that. No, management has to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then I love what you said about things that, that these things take time. And that can be frustrating when we, you know, we're trying to hit 30 day goals or 90 day goals, or people want results right now, fast food society, yeah, yeah. creating a culture of resilience or creating that forward thinking culture of risk. It's not just like, Oh, we have a document now. We have a culture of resilience. That's not, that's not how it works. It takes a lot of time. And I see a lot of organizations don't have the patience anymore for really anything, but yeah. especially something that's a little more esoteric. I had a very long conversation uh, with a friend of mine last night, which you can get into later. He's like, well, what's the difference between BCM and resilience really? Uh, and part of it for me was resilient, like resilient, a resilient family, a resilient community, a resilient organization. Part of it is you just know it when you see it. There's not a checklist. Certain things are common. Yeah. But there are certain things. There's not like, oh, if I follow these Alex's 48 steps, I'm now resilient. There's some things that are a little, um, I don't know, pick a word, esoteric, nebulous, fuzzy. Well, you also have to important. go through. You also have to go through bad situations to learn from. Correct. And if you're not learning from them, uh, you know, a culture where you have, um, Kevin mentioned it at the start, after action reports or yes. lessons learned. If you're not going through that and actively uh, following up on some of those things that you've learned, well, then you're not creating that culture of resilience where people can learn and respond and grow you have to you can't have resilience without some sort of a catastrophe yeah so that would be interesting i'd like to see someone try and figure out is there a way that we could teach fundamental really resilience without that catastrophe yeah you know it's 
you know, I, I know I, one of the books that I talked to you about um, when we do this week in business continuity, at the end, we always talk about what books we're reading. And one of them uh, talks about awareness. Resi and it says in there, resilience is awareness. And you have to be aware of where you are, what you're doing, what you've gone through, how you're responding, and then, which is what I meant about leadership and mindset, how they respond to um, negative feedback. You know, you made a decision about a project or a program that isn't going well, but don't point the finger at the project manager or the program or, or the analyst or all of that. Look at yourself. Take a hard look at yourself. I made that decision. I have to take responsibility for that. That's awareness. Learn from that, then move forward. And that's where resilience comes from. It's that self-awareness. To, to me, that's where resilience actually starts. And then from there, you can create, as you said, the culture, you know, and the, the director or the, the, I think you said the director wearing the jeans, that person's showing the culture. You know, not just, yeah, you know, you can wear jeans, but they're in a suit. Exactly. You know, or a dress or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think that I like how you mentioned that awareness. I think that's really important. Uh, Rena Singh and I did a video series a couple of weeks ago talking about personal resilience. And one of the things we suggested was, you know, after incidents, not just organizationally, but do you do an after action review, not for the company, not for your business unit, but do you do one for yourself? Or if something happens to your family, you know, do you do an after action review as an individual? And we got a lot of comments and questions about we had never thought of something like that before. Let's do an after action review, inward focused, personally. And that's where I like how you said that awareness. I think that's where you can build. That's a skill you can build aware. How do I build awareness in myself? Do a review mm -hmm. of yourself in a time period you know this thing happened there was a storm you're on microphone four whatever it is uh you know can you can you assess how did i handle uh we had a situation in, in my family last week something minor but you know no big deal but i was reflecting on my handling my response was maybe a little more emotionally charged than it should have been given what happened and that kind of confused some of the things that the family did. And I think it's important to have those reflections and it's important to share and admit those kind of things because that is how we become stronger and I think that is how we become more resilient. And it's not easy. No. Because sometimes what self-reflection sometimes you have to admit things where you did make a mistake. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people and especially when we talk about leadership uh, and resilience don't want to admit that they they'd yeah. rather it's easier to find blame than it is to accept responsibility and that happens a lot we see that all the time well it's so-and-so's fault yeah. you know how can it be so-and-so's fault when they follow the direction that was given to them absolutely you know, or they did what was expected of them you had an a uh, an expectation that wasn't communicated or as we said earlier today had an assumption that wasn't created Exactly. And communicated. So how did that person do something wrong? And it's difficult to do that self-reflection, that self-after-action report and say, how did I respond? Was I, was I the best person I could be? Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard to admit that. And organizationally, you need to be in an environment, and there's been tons of studies 
about are people allowed to admit mistakes? Because if they're not, they will hide them at all costs. Uh, it reminds me of some of the documentaries around Boeing and, you know, in the 737 MAX, there were people along the way who wanted to say, hey, I think there's something wrong here, or I think we made a bad assumption with this design, but the culture had gone from one of collaboration where the goal was, we will make the best airplanes in the world, to a culture of, we will be the most profitable manufacturer in the world. Everyone's getting very quiet right now. We have, we have to get quiet. Now. now we have to get quiet. Dan has an announcement. Dan Joyce. <laughs> lunch, is, lunch is extended by 15 minutes, it, it seems. So I have I have an extra fifteen minutes for muffins, which I'm excited about. It seems uh, that there's, uh, I, I guess, a victim of success. Yes. Lots of people um, not getting through the uh, lunch lineup fast enough. <laughs> so yeah, for those of you who couldn't hear, Dan Joyce, the conference director, was saying that you know there were so many people following up with questions of the speakers and so many people networking that then trying to get to lunch. We're a little short on time. Since this isn't the United States, if we were in the US, they would say, suck it up. You have 13 <laughs> seconds to eat, shove it in your face. We are in a more civilized country, so we're going to extend lunch a few minutes, which I'm excited about. So going back to, to Boeing, you have this culture shift of we are going to build the best airplanes in the world to we are going to be the most profitable airline uh airplane manufacturing company in the world so it shifted from at any point um, anyone on the line or any engineer could stop the design or build process and they had that authority and that autonomy to push that button and say hey this isn't right and then when that culture changed you were not only not allowed to do that people were pushed out or terminated yeah. for saying that so to me the first step of admitting you know being able to admit mistakes that alex mentioned are you in an environment that you can admit mistakes like mm -hmm. when i when I, I make a lot of mistakes anybody who knows me i'm a walking mistake uh, <laughs> when i make a mistake and i share that with my family with my wife and say hey here's how you know upon reflection i should have done this that or the other better they don't bring that up 10 years later. Like, oh, I remember that time. Um, that kind of shuts people down. And I use that as an extreme example, but I think we see that in the business world too. Alex makes a mistake at work. That's not a big deal, but people keep bringing it up or teasing him about it, or it's in his performance review. What's going to happen the next time he makes a mistake? He's going to do everything he can to hide it. And that kind of yeah, or, and that blame that that shrinks. I think out of self defense, you stop being aware, and as you mentioned, that's one of the key components of being resilient. And that's part of the culture that organizations create and leadership. 
is will they accept, do they have mechanisms to where you can communicate uh, you know, things that are wrong, things that you see are not working. Um, I know one uh, vice president I was working with, she told me about uh, a company she was with where they had a uh, electronic uh, suggestion box, not an actual box, but you can an email address, you can send things in with ideas and how to make things better or, or address your concerns. And it turns out that who it was going to was making all the decisions. You know, like, nah, I don't think that's important. And then hitting delete and just passing on the things they thought was important on to everybody. So that, that su electronic suggestion box didn't last very long. And yet it was all promoted as part of a feedback in, in the culture. And it didn't work because one person ended up <laughs> making all the decisions and the stuff that should have gone forward, that person didn't think was important. And I think a lot of leadership do that. They'll, they'll say it. You know, I mentioned open door policy and it, I, I know I've mentioned it with you a few times. I hate open door policies when people talk about it because if you'll say you're the, the vice president and I'm trying to meet with you and you say you have an open door policy, I have to go through your admin or a manager to get yeah. permission to All talk to you. I get it booked. Uh, if I get it booked, then it gets scheduled for another day and then moved again and again and again and again. All the while, James is saying he has an open door policy, but it's actually in the hope that I just go away and forget about it. So it really bugs me. And I think if someone says they have an open door policy, schedule a time during the week, let's say a Wednesday at two to three or two to four or whatever, whatever day, whatever time have that where you really do have an open door policy someone like me can stop by and say james you know can i have 10 minutes of your time and that's it and when we talk there's no repercussions against me for bringing something up you know there's there's it's a free discussion nothing personal there is no personal uh, and i think that's another piece that people take too they take things personally <laughs> you know a process doesn't work not the person the process so, so that's my open door policy rant. Yeah. I love that idea. I think companies should implement that. It reminds me, Alex, of colleges and universities. Professors at a lot of colleges and universities have required office hours, right? So every Tuesday and Thursday, they're in their office from 9 to 11. They have no appointments. They have no meetings. That is truly open door. Anyone who is a student can go and speak to that professor about anything. I would love to see an organization implement yeah. that. That's a consulting idea from us to you for free. We won't <laughs> even charge you for that. Yet. Yes. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow we will, but today, today it's free. And, it, and the one thing, I know we started this whole talk with uh, a resilience talk in the yeah. BCI. What I found interesting too is all the talk about resilience is there still is no one definition. I don't know if you realize that, but every every person I talked to had a different perception of what uh, or definition I should say of what resilience was, either as a person in their community or their organization. And I think everybody, a lot of people, are still trying to 
find what does resilience mean? What to, to have something they can pin on the wall that everyone can uh, you know go to and say this is what resilience is. And I found that interesting at BCI when different speakers were having a different viewpoint on on uh, what resilience was. And I think at the end of the day, resilience has to be what it means to you as a person. If it's your organization, what does resilience mean in your organization and adopt that? Not what it means at James Inc., you know, James Green Inc., because you're gonna have one viewpoint. Uh, you know, this is what it means to James Green. I'm gonna have my own, this is what it means to Alex Fuller. And neither are wrong because we're both moving forward, we're both you know, progressing, we're both growing. And I think that's that gets forgotten. You adopt the, the definition that works best for you and your organization rather than trying to get someone else to tell you what it means. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at my phone and I've got up, Alex can see it because I actually had a text conversation. This isn't a plant and this is what I do with my life, I guess, for better or for worse. Somebody asked what I thought the difference between you know, resilience and business continuity management is. And the last part of the sentence is uh, I wrote, while there are some commonalities between resilient groups, part of it to me is you know it when you see it. That's why many of these resilience frameworks and standards are ridiculous to me. Because I'll second that. To Alex's point, what's resilient for uh, Stone Road may not be what Illuminate Advisory needs for resilience so working off the same exact framework there are two different businesses with two different plans uh and purposes so there's some commonality there certainly but uh i get worried in our industry when the last conference that you and i attended there was a lot of conversation immediately around well what's this definition what's this framework i think it kind of loses the spirit of what resilience is. Like for me, resilient is you not only survived anything and everything, you thrived, you grew. Your family, your community, your business, your organization is better off. How do we, we like to put everything in a box yeah, in our yeah. profession. How do you take that, that spirit, that essence and put it into a framework um, I think we spend too much time on that focus. I couldn't agree more. That's exactly what um, you know, I, I was thinking as well. It, I was ha having too many people trying to figure out what is resilience? What, what, what does resilience, what should resilience mean to me? Well, what does it mean to you now? That's, yeah. that's the main thing. You know, we're sitting here, but it uh, doesn't mean we, we enjoy the same colors or the same music or anything, but we're doing the same thing here. We don't have to be the same when it comes to resilience either. You know, I said my definition is self-awareness and then growing from there. Well, self-awareness, take that from an or to an organizational platform. That's the culture. You know, taking a look at what are we doing internally that's helping promote everybody, not just enough of them leadership and employees you know and i i think we're, we're looking too much for the answers in with regards to resilience outside rather than trying to find the answer inside and which was one of the key to circle right back to the very beginning of our talk 
was the direction that I came in for uh, the to speak at uh, at BCI was the keynote was that was the direction I was coming from. You know, you can have all these tools, but you got to look inside for the, some of these answers. Um, I can't tell you, you know, how to be resilient or what you need to do if you don't have it inside you to do it. But Alex, I need a checklist. I need a checklist for everything in my life, Alex. Well, you know, and that just promotes that tick box mentality, audit mentality. And then you're never going to get by it. You won't get resilience. And what you think is resilience is just, I have a document. Oh, so we're resilient. No, not even close. It just means you know how to create a document. That's all it means. You know, and I think that sometimes if we we blur that line and, and think that, you know, because we have a, a plan or, you know, we have this tick box, then we are a certain way. And I don't think that's, that's true. I think the other thing for me too, resilience should be based on what's important to you. And like you said, what's important to you and I is different. Our, what's important to our families is different. Uh, our organizations is is different so that definition of resilient when you're trying to force everyone across that commonality when the fundamental driver is different that's where you get disjointed and i think that's where you see to your point people pass an audit how many how many organizations were compliant with every standard in the world march 1 of 2020 right? Or how many companies were in compliance with Sarbanes-Oxley in the United States and then 2008 came along and all these financial institutions collapsed. But they, they met every standard, every law, every rule. They passed every audit. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe your BC program was audited and you're like, you guys are bulletproof. And then you had <laughs> ransomware and COVID and a wildfire and now you're out of business. So... Um, I really struggle with, you know, frameworks and I, and I appreciate and understand people want to look at why is this athlete successful or why is this person successful or why does this organization thrive and look for those commonalities. But for me, those should be a starting point, yes. not the end point. Like these best practices and guidelines are meant to be guidelines. They're not fiats. Right. Like, here's some ideas you should consider. When I coach and mentor people, I say, here's some things you should look at. But I don't say, here's what you have to do. Here's the only thing you can ever think about. This is based on my experience. Here's three things you might want to consider. One worked and, well. And one yeah. Didn't. And we do that, you know, with our, this is now our second live broadcast. Right. And last time we said, we need some tea, we need some mints, we need some cough drops. <laughs> so now we have those. But other people may be like, well, why do you have those? Those are ridiculous. But if you put that in a framework and a checkbox, now someone's going to say, in order to do a podcast, I need five tea bags. No, you don't. It's yeah. just, a, just a, it's what works for us at this point. Um, and I, I use that as an absurd example because I think that's what happens with our colleagues. As they say, well, Stone Road said I need this, that, and the other. So that's what I need. No, that's what that's what Stone Road needs for their yep. business. That's what Illuminate needs. That's what my family 
means. Uh, my wife's definition. Now we're an hour three, so we're just letting it all hang out. Uh, my wife and I have very different definitions of when we're running low on something in our pantry. So, for example, I think we're running low on ketchup when the ketchup bottle is completely empty and there's no more ketchup. <laughs> My wife thinks we're running low when there's only two bottles of ketchup in the pantry. <laughs> so very different. So why would you take my standard of running low, which is, you know, probably wrong in this direction, and her standard of, of running low, which is the extreme in the other direction, and now what if that became the law that every family on our street had to do the same? You would say that's ridiculous, but we do that in our profession. We, we do. Look at, the, look at all the, uh, the fuss that comes out about BIAs and how to get the, you know, the information that comes out of BIAs. How to do them. Oh how my many goodness. to do them. How yeah. often to do them. You know, I, 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 sometimes I feel for uh, um, David Lindstedt and Mark <clears throat> Armour, you know, they, they must be made of Teflon because they have bombs lobbed at them big time when they first came out with the adaptive business continuity stuff where they said, you know, you don't need a BIA, you can do it different ways and things like that. Yeah, and, you know, and we, I don't think we can say on one side, you know, you want to develop something fit for purpose that suits your organization, but then you have to follow this checklist, you know, this framework and do it this way. Well, then it's not fit for purpose. You're, you're taking my organization and trying to put me into this framework rather than taking the framework and adopt it to my organization. And I think that's what happens a lot. Maybe that could be our, our next book, Business Continuity is Not Ketchup Bottles. Yeah, you know you're in trouble when you get home, eh? If, ah, she, hears, well, if she hears this. If you're, uh, <laughs> hey, if, that, if that's the worst thing I say today, that my wife prefers us to have two bottles of ketchup in the pantry over a five-hour broadcast, I will take that gladly as a win. So... Well, we've come to uh, a break time again. We'll take another 10, 15 minute break. Absolutely. We want to thank uh, this hour's sponsor, Illuminate Advisory, the risk advisory firm, inspiring organizations to harness the power of risk. Thank you for sponsoring this segment. We will see everyone back at the top of the hour. 